Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line by embracing behavioral economics. And now, here are your hosts, world-renowned thought leader on customer experience, Colin Shaw, and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. So one of the questions we get is, if all the countries are different, how can you have a statement that crosses different cultures? You can because those things like feeling cared for are human traits. Two people who are from different cultures with the best of intentions could accidentally offend each other because they are coming from a different place and have different norms. And it's those little things that mean a huge amount to people and stick with them. And, and some of those things can be more, again, more subconscious and you start misinterpreting what people are doing. So, Ryan, I was doing a speech in Singapore mm -hmm. a few years ago now, and as I was doing this speech, it was a day-long event, and I was sort of wandering through the audience as I normally do and asking questions as I normally do. And I was really surprised that hardly anybody was answering. And it was one of those times when it was really quite laboured. Yeah. And obviously after the first hour or so, I thought to myself, I've just got to change the way that I do this. Otherwise, I'm not going to, you know, because I'm not getting the interaction. And what I realised was that basically in Asia, standing up and answering a question in front of a hundred people to somebody like my good self is not the done thing. And therefore, from a cultural perspective, it wasn't right to do that. Now, it was at that point, my naivety in, in trying to attempt to do it, what I should have realized was that that's the wrong way to go about it. And clearly, after the first hour, I, I did. But the point of what we're going to talk about today, and this is a question that I get many times, is if you're trying to implement a global experience for customers, then how can you do that from a country cultural perspective because people are different. So that's what we're going to talk about today. So does it even make sense to have a global strategy if, as we know, people are so different across cultures? Correct. And the danger is that you treat everybody the same and they're not. And the classic stuff is that whichever country you're from, if you're in America, you assume everybody's like you are, and therefore you implement an experience to everybody that is the same as is in America, and actually that they're not the same as everybody is in America, and therefore it doesn't work. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Good old ethnocentrism. Ah, I knew there'd be a posh word for it. I mean, I don't mean to brag, but I have a PhD <laughs> and a dictionary. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. Yeah, no, that's great. So one of the questions we get, so one of the things we advise organizations to do is that they should be defining their experience, okay? And we call it a customer experience statement. So it, it a customer experience statement is effectively an articulation of the experience that you want your customers to have because most organizations 
can't answer that simple question, which is, what's the experience that we're trying to deliver? And therefore, what we do, in, and probably one of our best examples of this is Maersk Line. Maersk are the largest container shipping company in the world, and we help them improve their experience. They improved their net promoter score by some 40 points over 30 months that led to a 10% rise in shipping volumes. And the experience they were trying to give their customers, and this is all public domain stuff, um, they did a Forrester did a report on them some time ago. They wanted their customers to trust them. They wanted them to feel cared for, and they wanted them to feel pleased. And so one of the questions we get often is, well, if all the countries are different, then how can you have a statement like that that crosses all of those different cultures? And the answer is, is you can because those things like feeling cared for are human traits. So they're humanistic things. But the key here is how they manifest themselves how you make a customer feel cared for in China or Japan or Turkey or England or America or Argentina may be very different across each of those areas. So the important part here is that key experience can be the same internationally, but what you do to get that as an outcome is different. Does that make sense? So it sounds a little bit like the distinction I draw for my students between strategy and tactics. It's, it's not exactly a difference in strategy and tactics, but you have this overarching strategy, which might be your, your customer experience statement, like this is what we want people to feel. But then tactically, how you actually get them there might have to be filtered through culture. Yeah. So we want everyone to feel cared for. In some cultures, that might mean direct eye contact and a firm handshake in other cultures, that might mean a polite bow and deferring to them when they speak, right? But the underlying kind of strategic goal of the experience is still the same, which is whatever, cared for or something. Yeah, really good way of describing it. So again, for those people that know Asia at all very well, when you're passing a business card over, yeah, you pass it over with two hands. Seen as kind of disrespectful to to just use one hand to kind of catch it. Yeah. You don't sit at a business table and throw your business cards across the table, which in a more casual environment in the West, you would do. Whereas in the West, it's a little odd when somebody hands you their card with both hands and kind of takes Correct. it back seriously, right? So again, not, not that one is right and one is wrong. These just have different cultural meanings. Absolutely. And I have to say, I find I find them fascinating. I mean, yeah, it's... Um, yeah. Even just things like tipping. We know in the States, tipping's, you know, 15 to 20%, and it's pretty prevalent everywhere. In the UK, tipping's typically 10%, 12.5%. If you gave them 20%, they'd give up their job and go and work somewhere else. <laughs> in Australia, they don't really tip. And actually, if you do tip, it seemed to be a bit strange. So you can't just take one thing and assume that uh, all parts of the world are going to implement it. I mean, this is a real challenge then for a global organization. So what do you, I mean, getting to these values, getting to that statement has got to be hard enough. I mean, that's a lot of work, figuring out what you want your customer experience to look like. Sure. 
what then is the next step that you advise for clients? Like, where do you even start? What is your digital or physical experience like from a customer perspective? What should you change? How do you compare against your competition? Whether you're a small, medium, or large size organization, why not let me or one of the team review your digital or physical experience by undertaking what we call an experience health check? In this short and affordable engagement, we will act as a customer. And if that's not practical, we will talk to your customers and we will assess your experience against best practice. We will then provide you with a series of actionable recommendations for change. If you're interested in finding out more, just go to beyondphilosophy.com backslash health check. That's beyondphilosophy.com backslash health check. You have to break it down. So what we would do is, first of all, we would we would do research to find out which emotions are driving value, okay? We would then define the customer experience statement. And we would do that research, by the way, again, importantly, you're doing the research across the globe, okay? There's no point in doing everything in America and then assuming that the emotions are going to be the same in Japan and Asia and wherever, Middle East, whatever it may be. Out of curiosity, have you ever run into situations where the underlying emotions do differ empirically across different regions? Or is it that pretty uncommon? Pretty uncommon, I have to say. Interesting. And and the reason I, I say that is I think that the emotions, and, and this goes back to the research that we did with London Business School back in 2005 for my book, DNA of Customer Experience, How Emotions Drive Value. We discovered that there are 20 emotions that drive and destroy value. And those emotions are things like trust, cared for, valued, frustrated, and I guess the way I've always looked at them is they're pretty core emotions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, and they're pretty sort of core to human behavior, basically. And whilst you may get some differences, and we always have interesting debates with clients around, is it cared for, is it valued, is it appreciated? But to be totally honest with you, I don't necessarily get hung up on the nuances and the differences between those things because the key for me with an organization is do they understand what it means right and how are they then going to implement it so if i took something like mersk one trust cared for and pleased what we would then do is we have a process which is we call a pyramid but you think of a think of a triangle and think of say like cared for okay So each country would then say, okay, so we're going to try to get to cared for. How do we make our customers feel cared for? What would we need to do? Now, in America, they may say, we need to go and visit them once a week. We need to listen to them more or whatever it may be. But how that manifests itself in China or in the Middle East, again, may be very different. If you look in the Middle East, forming a relationship, talking about family for half an hour before you start a business meeting is an important part of business over there. And therefore, you have to consider that when you're designing your experience. So the point I'm trying to make is you start off with that strategy, the way you described it was good, but you're then allowing each of the countries to work out how to implement that. Does that make sense? Uh, Okay, so essentially 
to kind of define the strategy if we're going to use those terms. Like these are the the things that we we need people to feel. And then from a management strategy, from a management perspective, saying kind of backing off a little bit at that point and saying like, here's some suggestions, but you we need we need you to use some autonomy and and make this work to the cultures that you're in, as opposed to lockstep, like here's the manual and use all of these tactics to get to this point. Yeah. The manual, if you like, is the methodology for doing it rather than that means that every time you see a customer, you have to shake them by the hand or that means that you don't mandate it. What you do is you measure it. Okay. So that's sort of stick and carrot, isn't it? Because now if you've got if you're giving people the ability to define how they're going to make customers feel cared for, and that for me is the right way of doing it because people buy into that process rather than saying, oh, bloody HQ are trying to implement this on us again and they don't understand our customers. Which, is, by the way, is a common complaint among yeah. salespeople. Doesn't mean that it's wrong, <laughs> necessarily. No, and absolutely. Sometimes management, in fact, doesn't understand the customer. No, I totally agree. I think the other interesting bit for me is it's a bit like Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Oh, oh! you say as if I don't know. Yes, I'm aware of who <laughs> Peter Parker <laughs> Whenever I say Peter Parker, I always think Peter Parker picked a pickle, pick a pecker. If Peter Parker picked a pickle, pick a pecker, where's the pickle picker Peter Parker with hit? I nearly said it correctly. <laughs> that was the worst version of that tongue twister I've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, anyway, where was I? Uh, <laughs> Spider-Man. We, we were about to get we were, to the most important part of this podcast. You were going to tell me a story about a comic book character. Yeah. We were talking global strategy, and then we went off on a slight detour. <laughs> <laughs> but the point I'm trying to make is that with great power comes great responsibility. You're giving them a lot of autonomy. They better follow through with that. They've got to take the responsibility. And, yeah. and therefore, if they're then saying, okay, well, we know how to make our customer feel cared for and we use that methodology and it works, great. That's, that's, great. that's the outcome the organization wants. If it doesn't, that's a different, different kettle of fish. Time to make some adjustments. Yeah, yeah. But I think when you start to look at it, some of the differences are quite incredible. I mean, it's one thing I always find is in America – well, certainly in Florida, I don't know if this is a Floridian thing or whatever, but everybody sort of eats around 6.30. If you go to Spain, everybody's eating around 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> if you go to, uh, we've done a lot of work in the Middle East. Again, that small talk and that relationship building is really important. So let me ask you the usual question, or let's ask both of us the usual question, which is, so what? What does that mean that we do? You, you know how I like to have us introduce these big ideas and then dial it back and say, oh, just kidding. This is all part of like one of three insights that we have about people. To me, this comes back to one of our, our big hobby horses, which is segmentation. You can think of different cultures as different segments that exist within your target segment. So your target segment should be value-based. It should be based on, on how people make decisions, based on what they want. But within that, there are going to be people who want similar things all across the globe. And if your offering, if your experience, if your product can give them what they want, 
then you need to make sure that those cultural differences don't serve as barriers to the value that you can provide. So now that you've got your target segment, now that you've kind of started to develop this experience and so on, segment again and say, all right, so within these different cultures, we're going to need to to fine tune the message. We're going to need to develop a different experience, a different set of protocols, all serving kind of the same underlying value. So look at culture as, and cultural differences as ways of filtering, as ways of making sure that no barriers arise. I think that it's a mistake to do your primary targeting, your primary segmentation based on culture or country. So if you go in and say, well, we're going to develop an offering for India, I think you're missing the boat because India is vast and diverse and Indians want lots and lots of different things because there's lots of different segments. I think that it's more appropriate to say, this is our target segment. It's people who want X, Y, and Z and who are searching out a certain type of experience. And that's who we're going to serve. And then within that segment, we've got some who live in India and some who live in Scotland and some who live in France. And we want to make sure that we can communicate to all of those groups effectively. Yep, that's a good point. I think the issue for me is just because you're being successful in one country or one culture, don't necessarily think that it's exportable to all areas. That's great, yeah. You may be really successful in the States, and you therefore could argue that there is clearly success that you can have in other Western-style countries and the same, obviously, in Asia, et cetera, et cetera, with uh, something being successful in Asia. But you cannot just overlay one experience on the world. There are going to be nuances that you need to think about and therefore, again, segmentation that you need to think about. I mean, I think it also speaks to the importance of diversity in your team. You can read a lot about kind of cultural differences, but gosh, the nuances are so important. And we talked about the handing over of business cards, and that's one that's gotten to be fairly well known. But I mean, think about the subtlety of the differences there. Two people who are from different cultures with the best of intentions could accidentally offend each other because they are coming from a different place and have different norms. And so, you know, if you want to be successful in different parts of the world, it it becomes really, really important to have management representation, have have employees who have a voice in in that statement, who actually have experience in those parts of the world and and who've lived there and and are part of those cultures. Yeah, no, it's a good point. Another example I I haven't mentioned, you know that we travel, or when people were traveling, travel between the states and the uk a lot like every six weeks we're literally in one place or or another one of the things that always surprised us was that when you go to a restaurant the restaurant clears the plate your plate away when you finish your food in england that would be considered rude interesting you wait till everyone has finished and then you clear all the plates away at the same time so Look, just little little sort of nuances like that. So if you're a, a tourist in the States, I'm sitting there going, this is rude. They're taking their place. And obviously the same with in the States where they're, they're going, why hasn't the way, if the, somebody from America was in the UK going, why haven't they taken my plate away? And it's those little things that mean a huge amount to people. And 
and stick with them. And and some of those things can be more, again, more sort of subconscious and you start misinterpreting what what people are doing. Yeah, I mean, that's another great point too, is that a lot of cultural differences are in fact subconscious. They're non-conscious. They're things that are intuitive system picked up on over the years slowly as we were being raised in a culture and that makes them often very difficult to articulate uh, and so again it, it it speaks to the importance of having somebody who has their intuitive system trained up on this stuff so that they can yeah. serve as a, a, a check yeah. on that and the other one just thinking about it is just is lines and queuing yeah um, oh that's such a different cultural experience yeah. Yeah, yeah. You you find the the pictures online of like Japanese queues where they I mean, these these astounding Japanese citizens will just will line up in these perfectly razor straight lines, and then there are other cultures where queuing is just not a part of the culture at all. Absolutely, or even getting on tubes and stuff like that, and cramming yourself on a tube. I think you raised a really good point. The great thing is diversity. Yeah. Okay. And you therefore absolutely it'd be a good idea to to create uh, the the company and the culture and team members that uh, have got that diverse approach. But I think the main thing for me is it is definitely different. Having said that, we are still talking about human beings, and human beings have core emotions. The issue is how do they manifest themselves in those different markets and those different segments, different cultures. And that's what you've got to work out. But once you've done that, the other key thing then is measuring, okay? Because again, with great power comes great responsibility. You need to be able to measure those things to make sure that you're achieving the outcome that you want to achieve. Because if you've done this right, and the way that we would do it is you've defined what drives value, and therefore you know the emotions that you're trying to evoke in your customers, and therefore you're starting to you're measuring those to, to see if those are being uh, felt by the customer or not. It's a great point. A lot of times when we when we talk about things that are a little bit softer or squishier, you know, there's this natural tendency to say, well, then I guess it's it's immeasurable. It's all up in the air and, and we can't really know. And, and to your point, that's not the case at all. That be, becomes the point where it becomes especially important to make sure you've got your, your measurements in place because it, it is harder to assess sometimes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And part of being customer centric is being sensitive to your customers' cultures, whether you agree with the culture or what it is they're doing or disagree. That's the culture of that organization and or that, that uh, country. And you should embrace it, basically. Okay, we hope that's been of use to you today. If anybody's got any suggestions on any topics that you would like us to cover, any feedback on on how we're doing, then it's always gratefully received. Please just drop us a line at contact at beyondphilosophy.com. That's contact at beyondphilosophy.com. And Ryan and I always read the comments and we've had some really good ideas in the past, the podcast summary and different things that we've done that have come directly from customer feedback. Yeah. If, if you have a great idea, Colin and I will shamelessly steal it. So we've got that going for you. Absolutely. You can get that, always. that warm glow of satisfaction that comes from being exploited. So yeah, <laughs> tell us your great ideas. We would love to hear them. Non-painted do I think. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Thanks a lot, everyone. And talk to you next week. Cheers.
This has been the Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast. And we'll talk with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.